Corinthians chapter 14 from 20 to 40. Uh, rather long, just uh, bear with me. Brother and sister, stop thinking like children in regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adult. In the law, it is written, with other tongues and though the lips of foreigners, I will speak to the, these people, but even then they will not listen to me, saith the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in, While everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their heart are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn, or a word of instruction, revelation, or a tongue or interpretation. Everyone must be done so that the church might be built up. If anyone speak in tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time. And someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what it said. And if revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophecy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit of prophet are subject to control of prophets, for God is not God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husband at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone think they are prophet or otherwise they gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignore this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Topo. Good evening, everyone. I think we're going to need God's help. So let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for your word. Uh, we thank you that it is for our, our good and our profit, and we pray that you'll help us uh, to understand and to see more clearly who you are, particularly as we think about um, how to exercise gifts and prophecy and, uh, and worship. Uh, please guide us and lead us, we pray, by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. So please do um, have your Bible open, page 1155, I think. And, and what I want to say straight away is this passage is um, primarily about the church meeting together in worship. What it does uh, corporately is it worships as it exercises gifts. Uh, and I do really want that to be uh, our focus tonight as chapters 12 and 14, the whole sort of section, is, is really m about that. But before we go, though, uh, on to that, um, I'm sure verses 34 and 35 particularly uh, made the hairs of some of you uh, stand up on the back of your necks. Um, the bit about um, women um, should be silent in, in the church. And so, um, well, this evening, I'm not going to really go into this. You might be really disappointed. Um, and if we did, it would probably take um, a long time to, to do that. And it would, I think, sidetrack us from the main thrust of what we're talking about tonight, which is around um, gifts and serving and worship. But I will say a couple of short things, just so you don't think I'm completely ignoring it, and you think, oh. Um, the first is... Um, that I'll say, you will notice that Victoria was leading the service. And you will notice that she's a woman. I'm sure you have noticed that. <laughs> um, and uh, she's speaking in church. Um, and so it's important that we do uh, seek to affirm the ministry of women across the church that enables all to flourish in the gifts of God that God has given them. So that's the first thing I just want to briefly say. The, the second is, um, in connection to this, if you turn back to chapter 11, and you, you can do this at some point, some of you are rustling already straight to it, um, you will read there that women are prophesying in the Corinthian church. And, and therefore they are speaking. Yeah? They are speaking. And yet our passage here today says uh, uh, women should remain silent. Now, that might appear contradictory. Um, but remember that the scriptures are without error, and there's more going on here than meets the eye straight away. There's a context here. And clearly our women are speaking in the church. This is a whole area uh, that would need further unpacking. So we're kind of parking that. But I do want you to see those two things there. Victoria's leading and speaking in the church. And uh, uh, it's important that we see that. And the scripture is authoritative to us. Um, and maybe another time we can look at that. Okay? But tonight, um, that's not the thrust of the concluding section on gifts here. 
uh, that we're looking at. Let us back up for a moment. Remember, uh, Paul introduces the whole area of gifts in chapter 12. And then he says, just before he gets to 13, he says, and I will show you the most excellent way. Do you see that? The way of love, it's the way of grace, it's the way of humility. He unpacks that, and love needs, therefore, to frame everything that we do. It needs to frame our previous uh, comments about um, women and ministry. It needs to frame our conversation about gifts and how they are to be exercised and how they build up the church. How do they do it? We saw in verse 3, by strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. In verse 5, so that the church may be edified. And verse 12, it says, try and excel in those gifts that build up the church. You saw that, that repeated phrase. And so we pick it up again uh, in that context, in verse 24. And the first question I want us to think, of, think about is, what is the purpose of our worship? What is the purpose and, and the, an answer to that is here. And, and one of the answers is that there's an, the reason we meet is there should be an eager expectation of the presence of God. Okay? An eager expectation of the presence of God. Why do I say that? Verse 24. If an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everybody is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts will be laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What's the purpose of our corporate worship meetings? Well, one of the answers to that is, is to have an e eager expectation of the presence of God amongst us. So that they will fall down, verse 25, and worship God. And the, the interesting thing here is that and the thing, one of the things we need to note here is that the falling down is not something that the person who comes in expected or planned to do. Uh, we know this because verse 23 tells us that it's unbelievers and inquirers coming in. Yeah? Two people, one a skeptic, the other a seeker, both not the kind of people who come into the church expecting to fall down, you would agree, to meet God. But the, when the presence of God suddenly comes down, it comes as a surprise. It's a shock. Um, and these two type of non-believers uh, were not expecting to, fall, to do that. It was sudden. It was a surprise. Because the presence of God comes as a surprise and as a, a shock without warning. Do you see that? And, and therefore that means that you, you and I, we can't manufacture that. Yeah? We can't play chords, for example, in a certain order in order to make a manufacturer of that. We can't move the chairs and the, the, the building around and arrange it in a way that would manufacture that kind of response because it is of God. Yeah? And that means that it, it, uh, it, it doesn't always happen. But when it does happen, look at what happens. Two things. Verse 25, the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. What's going on in our hearts is laid bare before God when that happens. You suddenly become aware uh, of what you are like uh, as an unbeliever. Your heart is exposed. And I, 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 you know, 
I've had moments when that has happened to me, where before God you just feel flattened because you see how appalling your heart is before a holy God. We were just singing that. And your heart is laid bare before the presence of God. Uh, Secondly, uh, verse 25 says that they will fall down and worship God. You see how the state of their heart um, relates to their actions, their need uh, of God. Suddenly they see the need of God, their deepest need, the deepest longings and and hurts of our hearts are found actually in, in meeting God in worship. So you see, they have this eagerly expect the presence of God in that way. Now that doesn't mean, and I should say this, doesn't mean that God isn't present with us when we gather um, if these things don't happen. You know, remember, God is with us now. He is with us by his Spirit. God promises that. Yet yeah, I think this is very important for us Because one of the purposes of worshipping together, being together corporately, is to have that eager expectation of God's presence. That we want that sort of thing to happen, that people's hearts will be laid bare before God and people will be convicted of their need of God and come to know him and worship him. Isn't that right? Isn't that what we want? I think so. That's what we want. So that's the first thing, the purpose of worship and eager expectations of the presence of God that this is the kind of thing that happens. But secondly, um, the, there's the question of what is, the, what is order? What is order in worship? Um, because there's quite a lot about that here. And uh, the answer I'm going to suggest is that there's a consideration for the diversity of uh, spiritual condition, if I can put that, amongst us. What do, I, what do I mean by that? Well, let me just say, verses 26 to 23, they're really blunt Um, if you look at them. Paul is basically saying, no matter how much you you think um, God is is working in your heart, whatever your impulses are, you do need to have, when we corporately meet together, um, uh, control of yourself. The reason he says that, because there should be a real mix of spiritual uh, backgrounds in our meetings. Um, There will be some who don't understand. There will be seekers There'll be spiritual babies, there'll be unbelievers, there'll be mature believers, there will be those who are even hostile to the gospel message. And I think Paul says you must get control because there are some things that will make the outsider, the person who doesn't trust in Jesus, think that you're mad. Isn't that what it's saying here in verse 22? Let's look at that. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophesy, however, is not for the unbelievers but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in a tongue and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind, that you're mad? How do we understand this? Um, well, I think this is where, verse 21, the, the quote there, from Isaiah is there. It says in verse 21, in the law it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And Paul's quoting Isaiah's essay in which God curses the Israelites because they didn't obey him, and so he sends, he sends the Assyrians to them 
who what? They speak in a foreign language to them, in a tongue that is not their own. Uh, And that comes as judgment to them. So Paul does this so he can turn around and say that tongues are not a sign for the believers, but for unbelievers. But what kind of sign is it to the unbeliever? Well, that's the connection, isn't it? Tongues are basically a really, really bad sign for the unbeliever. Tongues are a sign that make unbelievers feel condemned and judged. Just as the Assyrians came with the tongue and brought God's judgment. That's why Paul uses that verse. So when an outsider comes in and sees everyone speaking or singing in tongues, their response will be, this is mad, this is weird. Um, I don't understand what are these people on. I don't understand it. Now, I'm not trying to be funny at all here. I'm not trying to, in any way, be offensive, but I think that's what Paul is saying. You know, if you think about it, if I want to bring a friend to church who doesn't understand the gospel, who's a seeker, who's an unbeliever, I'm going to make sure I take them where there is intelligible words spoken. Uh, And I hope St. John's, we have a spiritual, diverse congregation in front of us. Maybe you're a seeker. Maybe you're seeking understanding here. And if we do that, we've got to think, no matter how much I maybe want to spontaneously jump up and say something, you've got to think about those around you. You've got to think about what is best for the unbeliever in your midst. What's going to bring them to faith? Um, There needs to be, and therefore that's why Paul, he talks about, here about order and, and you remember last week we talked about the silent disco where we begin with you know that they're all there being ch- tuned into their own kind of music doing their own thing uh, and that seems to be what the state of the the worship services in in uh, Corinth and uh, they're kind of all doing their own thing and so verse 26 uh, he, he, Paul wants to kind of correct this and bring some order to that and he says when you come together each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, <clears throat> a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. <clears throat> everything must be done so that the church may be built up. You see, everything must be done for the church to be built up. Paul's so practical here, actually. In the midst of all this, he's very practical. Speakers in verse 30 must take their turn. Uh, why? Verse 32, because the spirit of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not the God of disorder, but the God of peace. Verse 32. And in some ways, we sometimes can hear that and, and think that that sounds the most unspiritual verse in the whole of Scripture. But it's actually not unscriptural to have order and peace. So this is a great challenge for us. Um, uh, perhaps for some of us who, who want to be more spontaneous, I suppose, for some... And that can be quite hard because uh, maybe we're more naturally like that kind of thing. But orderly worship is essential because, because it shows love. It shows love and wants to build up others. It shows consideration for a diverse church, catering for unbelievers, for those who are spiritual babies, for seeking, seekers, those who want to understand. How can we make sure that we include everyone that's the, what Paul, in, in essence, is saying. So, 
the order of worship is a consideration for the diversity amongst us, the diversity in spiritual condition, lots of people in different places. But thirdly, and importantly, what is the power of worship? Where's the power come from? And, the, and I think the answer is the power comes through the Holy Spirit. The power for worship comes through the Holy Spirit. Verses 36 to 40. Paul in this last session, section takes us back to prophecy, particularly. Verse 36. Did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let him them, them acknowledge that, I am, that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. So last week, you maybe were here, if you were here, we talked about how uh, prophecy seems to be this intuitive insights given by God through his spirit to build up others that neither, but neither has the weight or authority of scripture. We, because it needs to be weighed and it needs to be um, tested because you wouldn't do that weighing and testing, for example, with Paul's letters, uh, which are considered as scripture because he teaches as an apostle. He, as it says in verse 37, let them acknowledge, those who have prophecy, gift of prophecy, that what I say as an apostle is the Lord's command. You see the distinction? He doesn't say to the Corinthians, when you receive my letters, you weigh and evaluate my letters. No. In fact, he's saying something stronger. Verse 38, if anyone, if anyone, the one who thinks he's a prophet, ignores this, my command, they then them, they them themselves will be ignored. So he has the apostolic authority, but it's different from prophecy. And I suppose they can, uh, the question I then anticipate for myself is, well, why on earth did Paul call it prophecy? <laughs> Why does he call it prophecy? Couldn't you call it something else? Well, this is what I think here. And you can, we can discuss this. Um, in the New Testament, following the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was given, every single Christian, no matter who you uh, are, uh, through Christ, are prophet, priest, and king. Because Christ is prophet, priest, and king, okay? Um, and I think the, the Bible pushes that. In the Old Testament, only the prophets knew God in that kind of communicative way. Only they could communicate with God. But in the New Testament, what do we have? Every Christian can evangelize. Every believer can communicate with God, has a relationship with God, don't they, in prayer. Every Christian can build up God's people, can even rebuke God's people. I'll give you one little example, as I was looking at this earlier, about this. Uh, in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, it says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, this is Paul talking, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. He's saying that to the church. In a sense, you have 
a prophetic ministry. The role of instructing, teaching, counseling, building up others can now be done by all believers and it isn't the sole responsibility of a few prophets, priests and kings. And that really is very important for us as a church because what it does is it stops us from falling into some sort of form of spiritual elitism. What do I mean by that? Well, those that think that only the minister, uh, only those in dog collars... (laughs) I don't have a dog collar on. Can really do the instructing, the exhorting, the prophetic ministry. Only the pastors can do the visiting, the praying, the interceding, the priestly ministry. It stops us from thinking only leaders can give direction and command to others, the kingly gifts. Do you see? But in the New Testament, that's not what happens. When the Holy Spirit, the power of God, is poured about on his church, we all have access to these gifts of prophecy, of, of uh, priestly gifts, of kingly gifts. So St. John's, I mean, it, it would be nonsense, wouldn't it? And we know this. It would be a nonsense. It's, we're too large um, that I can be everybody's prophet, uh, priest and king. Uh, that I could be somehow everybody's teacher and pastor and shepherd. It's a nonsense, isn't it? That's why we devolve things. Unless you want me to have an early breakdown, um, (laughs) that's not going to happen, is it? And that's why we need to exercise our gifts to one another. Because we all have them. The Holy Spirit has given them. And that's why we divide ourselves up sometimes into smaller groups and into all ages, uh, into ages uh, groups. You see, we need to recognize that we're all prophets and yet some have prophetic gifts. Uh, That we're all pastors and can pastor one another and yet some have priestly gifts amongst us. And the same, that we're all uh, can help lead one another and instruct one another with, with a, a loving command. And yet some of us have specifically gifts that are kingly in nature, given by the Holy Spirit. These have been given by the Holy Spirit because that's where the power comes, to build one another up. And that's really, really important for us as a, a church family. In, in Corinth... Um, Paul seems willing to call all sharing, all exhortation, revelation, interpreted tongues, a word of knowledge, a hymn, he says here, as bringing prophecy. Do you see that? Why does he do that? There's a whole new level of ministry because we're in a Pentecost era, a when the Holy Spirit's been poured out. We've all got gifts to exercise. And my prayer is that we pray and learn to use them to build up the church, to build it up in chapter 13. Love. Let's pray, shall we? Our God, our Father, there's... 
plenty in this passage to, to understand. And Father, just pray that we would together uh, seek to weigh and test what I've said against your word, against the prophets of old your, and the apostles, your, your word. And Father, we pray that together we will seek your spirit, that it may gift your church with gifts to build up your people in love. Please work amongst us, we pray, that we may have that eager expectation of your presence with us. Father, we we trust you into this and pray that you would bring it to us for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.